Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. Everyone is now on ESPN Radio. This is some country music because it's the middle of winter, and it reminds me of the summer. We're going to get back out on the other side. When Aubrey left today, she said, it's only three weeks till spring. I didn't want to have the heart to tell her that she's wrong. <laughs> it's going to last a little while. Welcome back. Hour number two, Nuana's Now coming at you. Missed anything in hour number one. You can always find it on the Nuana's Now podcast, probably presented by the M Store and the MSU Bookstore. Our continued... Coverage and collaboration with the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival uh, rolls on here. All the cross Missoula Broadcasting's fine stations. You can find interviews each and every day on the trail, 103.3 Montana's Quality Rock, and right here on ESPN Radio. And uh, I'm going to my first in-theater uh, film tonight. Very look, much looking forward to it. You can catch me down there at the Zach uh, at 8.30. Going to go see a film just titled Nuts. Uh, if it was just that, I would go anyways. But then the, give me the whole blurb and I watched the trailer and I, I'm already hooked. So uh, pretty cool to have great filmmakers from across the globe with us here in Missoula, the Big Sky Doc Fest, back for the 20th year in a row and uh, very happy to be collaborating with them. Once again, we are joined in studio now, speaking of from across the globe, a couple folks that hail from Poland that live currently in Berlin Piotr and Elvira, I'll have you say your last name so I don't uh, butcher them. Uh, what's your last name, Elvira? Elvira Niviera. Very nice. And how about you, Piotr? Uh, Piotr Zawowski. Very good. The movie that these guys are a part of, uh, the that they helped create, the Hamlet Syndrome. And this follows a group of young Ukrainian actors struggling with traumas from sexism and homophobia. Plus, if you might have heard, there's been a conflict going on in Ukraine for almost 10 years, and it's turned into a full-fledged war with Russia invading Ukraine here within the last year. And uh, this was filmed only. This this film was filmed over the span of two years, only a couple months before Russia invaded. So, uh, a rare personal document of the transformative power of art, and also a lot of symbolism there, being a Shakespeare movie as well. So. Um, first of all, Avara, just take us through the, the inspiration for this movie. Like, what made you guys want to make this documentary? Mm-hmm. So, um, we wanted to draw attention to the um, war that has been going on in Ukraine since 2014. Because the fact that uh, people were dying, were suffering there for long eight years, uh, nobody cares. Uh, anybody cares. And... Um, yeah, the world forgot, ignored this conflict, and uh, we were interested by the young generation. That's mm-hmm. the first one um, born into the free and independent Ukraine, um, so born after uh, 91. And um, they are um, very special because uh, they initiate the Maidan revolution 2014. They were the first who went on the streets after the president um, refused to um, to sign the agreement with the European Union, the association agreement. And they were um, 
brutally beaten and uh, this um, turned into a big wave uh, of protests around the country. And then the war started. Mm. Wow. And they were involved in the fights because they had this feeling that Russia could make a full-scale invasion, which we have since one year. Tell us about the parallel with Hamlet, because uh, Hamlet has been done and redone and redone, and this is sort of the Ukrainian rendition of Hamlet, and you use that as sort of the centerpiece of forming the story around it. But Hamlet itself, I mean, one of the great stories ever written, but also ripe with political conflict and murder and, and all sorts of things. So uh, just take us through the sort of relation between that as the centerpiece of your film. Yes, I um, actually in our work, we when we wanted to make this film about um, about the young Ukraine generation, we were searching for a right tool and we decided to initiate a theater stage production based on motif of Hamlet because uh, one... Um, one uh, one film critic has told that um, each generation, each generation has a, has a, has a, its own Hamlet. And in Ukraine, this Maidan generation, they, they were. It was for us the generation of Hamlets of young people who were uh, somehow um, awakened politically or, or get aware of the situation and start to act slowly because it was also a difficult decision. To, to to start fighting or not, and this was for us the the so this built this uh, let's say core of the film. I mean this theater stage production. It, it is also post documentary theater. So they are not only professional actors. They are people who really uh, were facing this difficult decision, and they are on stage working on it and using Hamlet as a kind of uh, a metaphor, inspiration on someone with whom they are comparing themselves. And we have in the movie three protagonists uh, who were in the war and who were facing a war trauma. Um, and uh, yeah, we wanted to show what um, what it means to be at war and what war um, leaves behind and how difficult it is to return back to their lives. The film, The Hamlet Syndrome, you can find it tomorrow, that's Wednesday, February 22nd, 8.15 p.m., Screening at the Zach. It's good scheduling for me. The 8.15, anything after 8, that's good, because we get off the air here at 6. So I'll definitely be making my way down to the Zach again tomorrow. Big Sky Documentary Film Festival runs all the way through the end of the weekend. One of the great events that we get a chance to host here uh, in Western Montana in the Garden City. A couple of the filmmakers from this awesome and important film in studio with us. For both of you guys, what was the most difficult part of, of making this documentary? To find the protagonists. Yeah. We were like searching for two years and we met about 80 people because not um, not everyone was ready to uh, be part of a theater project of the movie and not everyone was ready to share their uh, trauma stories with us. And we're also searching for a different kind of people to, to show the variety of Ukrainian uh, population. So we have also LGBT protagonists, we have also feminists, we have war, war veterans, we have people who are from East, from the West. So it's really an interesting mixture of people. When you talk about the contemporary challenges of, of the Ukraine, obviously the, the war is the main one. But what else? I mean, because that, that's always something that exists in any society, in any culture, especially for, for people of a formative age like these people that you're documenting. Uh, could, could you repeat uh, the question? Yeah. 
We we have like uh, Rodion. Rodion is a refugee from Donbas, uh-huh. and he is uh, LGBT uh, plus uh, protagonist mm-hmm. um, who uh, is facing with homophobia and his country. And uh, so we we were looking for people who are fa- uh, fighting on different fronts, not only on the in the war right. but also we have a feminist uh, Oksana very um, very um, famous actor from Ukraine and uh, feminist and uh, yeah what what led you to want to do this I mean you guys are from Europe but not from the Ukraine so what, what was the inspiration to to make a movie about the Ukraine I mean, it started 2000, uh, in winter 2013, and then beginning 2014, there was this huge protest in Ukraine, the Maidan Revolution, and from that moment we start to interested in the situation in Ukraine, and, and at one point we decided to make a film about this unique generation, about this generation which changed the country, and this was for us the impulse, why we, why we went there. And you know, because, uh, I mean, we are from Poland, so it's a neighbor uh, Mm -hmm. state. And uh, I always feel that we also could be in the situation. Right, and Poland has been in that situation in the not too recent past, right? Yes, and uh, you know, they... On, in 2014, they went on study uh, international relations, uh, law, uh, theater directing, actor uh, acting, and then suddenly they became soldiers they never wanted to be, or refugees they never wanted to be, or paramedics. So uh, it it was very um, yeah um, difficult moment for them, and we wanted to give them uh, voice. This movie has been screened before, but it'll be screened again here in Missoula. Again, uh, the film The Hamlet Syndrome at the ZAC, uh, Zootown Arts Community Center, uh, there downtown Missoula, tomorrow evening, 8.15 p.m. The ZAC showroom is beautiful, but it's it's a little bit small, so you're going to want to reserve your tickets uh, online if you can. BigSkyFilmFest.org. Um, what was it like for you guys just on a personal level as filmmakers to watch other people watch your movie? I mean, it's uh, the movie is it's it's very emotional, and I remember because we already had uh, screenings in in different European countries, also in New York and in Australia, and it's always touching, you know, when the, when when people are also emotional watching this this right. young people from Ukraine, which is far away, but but they are looking at the people who looks exactly the same as as other. No young twenty plus uh, people, but but they are facing really huge problems, and uh, and uh, and we are impressed that that uh, this story, which uses elements of of this universal character Hamlet, is also, uh, I would say, understandable all over the world. How do you be empathetic when you're making a film like this? Because obviously these people are going through a lot personally, as a country, as a nation. Um, a lot of strife involved in this. I mean, even just in the short trailer that I watched, it's so emotionally charged. I mean, every, you're, you're about to cry just watching the trailer. So how do you sort of as a filmmaker deal with just being empathetic to the people that you're dealing with? So we built a relation um, and trust with them over two years without the camera. Uh, and this helped a lot uh, for the later period of of the shooting 
And of course, uh, you have to be empathic <laughs> and uh, you have to uh, try um, to, to put yourself in their position. What, what do you hope that people take from this uh, when they watch it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, we are so used to these images of war we can see in the news every day. Right. And uh, here in our movie, um, the war has uh, faces of Slavic, of Katya, of Roman. And it's um, much easier to, um, to try to connect emotionally with them. And this is what the movie can help us to understand what war means. For you, Peter, anything else? No, it's, uh, it's exactly what Elvira says. And, and uh, also I wanted to add that uh, speaking about empathy, uh, this is also one important thing which um, divides fiction and documentary, because in documentary you are watching real life stories of people who are existing. Yeah. And they are, our protagonists are now fighting on the East Front in the Ukraine, or They are refugees who escape Ukraine and living in Poland. And, uh, and uh, the thing is that you can't then turn back, you know. So we are still in touch with our protagonist and uh, organizing a humanitarian aid. And we, and we are still in contact with them. We even been in December in Lviv on the screening and some of them came. It was also a very emotional moment. And then you can really understand, okay, that's why you are making a film, to know, films to... to to do something to, to give also some impact uh, and to show other people what is the situation now. Well, it's beautiful, and, and that's what art is all about, is to bring awareness but also to make people feel something. So congratulations to both of you. It's very awesome that you guys were able to do this. So on a personal note, what do you think of Montana so far? Oh, we arrived yesterday. And then you guys get a blizzard outside, so you can't even <laughs> see the mountains. We have jet lag. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so we spend the most time in bed. <laughs> yeah. But it's beautiful. Today I really liked the, the weather. It's, it's extreme, if nothing else. Do you guys have any other plans besides just film festival stuff and just hanging out? Uh, actually not. We want. I want. We wanted to make a short, uh, maybe short walk, short hike here around, sure. and uh, we hope to do it tomorrow. Because uh, um, because on on Thursday we are flying back to to New York, where we have also another screening of our film. Oh, very good. Well, so thanks so much for swinging by. Welcome to town, and uh, congratulations again on uh, an awesome project. I can't wait to see this film tomorrow night. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Elvira and Piotr of the Hamlet Syndrome. This is a this looks like a, an awesome movie. If you want to catch it tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, at 8.15 at the Zach, the Zootown Arts and Community Center. You can also stream it on the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival website, bigskyfilmfest.org. Talking about a flair for the dramatic, Duncan Hamilton, one of the great athletes right now in the state of Montana, he had his last indoor track and field meet of his decorated and illustrious career at Montana State over the weekend. He decided to just go out and break the stadium record and run a three-minute, 51-second mile. Unbelievable. He's our next guest. Keep it right here. Go on us now. ESPN Radio. 
for unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. I can listen to Andrew Houghton. Oh, I mean, Tyler Childers sing forever. Welcome back. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. It's our inside joke. It's Andrew's all-time Halloween costume if he ever chose to embark on such trails. Thanks so much for kicking in with us here, whether you're listening on the radio, watching on TV, or hanging out with us on the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuanas. We're coming to you through the ESPN MT studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. Missoula Broadcasting, locally owned and operated uh, for more than 15 years, and happy to say so. I got to say, I, I get filled with, uh, I, first of all, I love conversating with people, and I particularly love meeting new people uh, that have artistic pursuits, uh, passion for what they do, uh, intellectual abilities, and it's just so cool to me that one of the premier documentary film festivals in the country is here in Missoula, Montana, every February, back for the 20th year, the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival. And I am so honored every year to be asked to be a part of it and uh, to get to conduct interviews. And how cool is that? I mean, we led the second hour here. Piotr Rozlowski and Elvira Naivira of uh, Poland by way of Berlin and their film, The Hamlet Syndrome. What an awesome uh, pursuit it is. I thought what Elvira said was so poignant and uh, so heartbreaking and so true. We sometimes become numb to the images of war. And she wanted this film to remind people that war has characters. It has a face. It has people that are struggling within the scope of it. So if you want to check out this awesome documentary, Go down to the Zach tomorrow night, 8.15 p.m., The Hamlet Syndrome, a documentary all about a group of young Ukrainian actors that are trying to grapple with the contemporary challenges of Ukraine through the lens of a, a adaptation of the Shakespeare classic, Hamlet. Go down to the Rangers Players Army phone line. Welcome in the guy that's made a regular habit of joining us here on this show because he's had such an outstanding career as a distance runner at Montana State. It's Duncan Hamilton. He stacked up Big Sky Conference Athlete of the Week awards like they're going out of business and almost certainly going to get another one here pretty soon. What's up, Duncan? How you doing, man? Great. How are you guys doing tonight? Uh, very good. First of all, where in the world are you? Are you in Bozeman or where are you at? I am in Bozeman, yeah. Yep. So just uh, just getting done, just get wrapping up practice, I hear. So um, first of all, just, just talk about that. It's sort of the scope of this season so far. The indoor is always a whirlwind. It only lasts about six weeks by the time the season starts and finishes. But next week, you got the indoor championships coming up in Moscow. So um, what what's this indoor year been like for you? And, and uh, has it been sort of crazy thinking that this might be your last indoor track season? Yeah, like you said, indoor has definitely been a whirlwind. Feels like we just started a couple weeks ago, but um, yeah, it seems like it's been a rush to like to get a fast time in to try 
try and qualify for NCAAs. Um, and one of those was actually just last week, but kind of once we got, once we got that mark in, could kind of relax a little bit, get some really hard workouts in. And yeah, I'm feeling really excited for, for indoors championships next week. Well, very cool. One of the things that, uh, made me circle back around with you, like we seem to so often do each time it's a new track season was your performance there at Brick Breeden Fieldhouse over the weekend. And uh, this was the indoor finale for this indoor season and the last Big Sky Conference tuner. And uh, during the mile, you lit it up once again, man. So uh, just take us through the race. The official converted time down to 3 minutes, 52.99 seconds. Not only does that break the legendary Patrick Casey's school record by more than two seconds, but also break the, broke the facility record by almost a second and a half as well. Did you know that you were going to make a run at the record going into the race, and how were you able to do it? Yeah, I definitely knew that that record was was uh, in my wheelhouse. I was kind of looking at the sub four mark um, in the brick, which I know is like that would be a pretty pretty big mark with that eight second conversion would probably end up being around a a three fifty one or so. Um, so that's kind of where my eyes were at. But I knew that if I fell off a little bit, then it was still going to be super fast. But kind of had it paced at that. Um, and then definitely got some motivation thinking that it would be my last race in the brick, which is still kind of sad to say, you know, I'm kind of my fifth year here having all my last, <laughs> last races. That was the last one in the brick. So that was definitely a motivator. And I just remember those last couple laps, uh, the, the crowd got super loud. You know, they really like, they like miles in Bozeman. So it was really loud in there and I was giving everything I have and it was just super, super good time. Super good community there. It is so cool, and, and people do love the mile. It's usually one of the last, if not the last, events, and people are sticking around and cheering you on and all that stuff, and always good crowds there. And uh, Indoor is also unique, too, because it's a 200-meter track instead of a 400-meter track. So that last lap, you can really kick it. So when you're coming into the last lap, though, did you hear the time? Did they yell it out to you? And if so, how did that affect just the way you ran that last 200 meters? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, <clears throat> that was that was the goal going into it, was to really kick it, and uh, <laughs> I really I think I wish I would have a little bit more. I think I had 331 or something coming in coming into the last one, so I knew it would take about a 28 or 29 to break that the, the four-minute mark, um, and I think I ended up 29 high, so it definitely wasn't quite the uh, the kick that I wanted, but still having faith that that, that kick will, will come um, in the next couple races with maybe a little bit fresher legs. You want us now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Duncan Hamilton, a Bozeman, Montana product and a senior uh, indoor distance runner at Montana State joining us. It's our Big Sky Spotlight. It's presented by Dave Maldonado and Maldonado Law. Maldonado Law. Uh, your go-to if you're battling with the insurance companies, visit BigSkyDefender.com to learn how Dave Maldonado and Maldonado Law can help you. Uh, Duncan, we've been doing this fun segment around here where we analyze the history of sports. I got this great book all about the 100 greatest sports heroes uh, in America, but it's from 1954. So it analyzes the whole first half of the 20th century. And one of the okay. guys they highlight in there is Roger Bannister. He's the first guy to ever run a sub-four-minute mile and just how epic that was. And this has been a mark in track that's sort of been this hallowed mark. Whether uh, And I know a lot of guys have done it since then, but um, 
what do you think about just sort of the progress track and field has made? Because when that happened, no one on the earth had ever done it. And now a lot of guys have done it since then, but still it has so much reverence and power to it. So what can you say is about the evolution of the distance racing uh, of distance racing in the mile? Yeah. I mean, this is honestly a topic that we talk a lot about in the team, um, kind of just on our easier runs, kind of wondering why, um, like this sport has evolved so much yeah. and like times are getting, it feels like exponentially faster lately, but we kind of compare it to that four minute mile mark. Like, yeah, that seemed like it was impossible, but once, once it was broken, tons of guys did it kind of pretty soon after that. Yeah. So a lot of times it does seem like a mental barrier. And so it kind of seems like, like now, um, as soon as one person like runs these crazy fast times, then it seems like the whole of the NCAA kind of realizes that that's possible and that, that they can do that. So it's just like a natural, seems like a natural progression of sport. And of course there's technology and training and everything that's getting better too. But just, uh, I feel like that mental barrier is a, is a huge thing. Um, and then, yeah, especially with that four minute mark, like there has been some, some talk on Twitter that it's becoming less of a, less of an important mark since, like so many college kids are doing it and high schoolers are doing it more frequently. But, um, I feel like whether, whether you like it or not, it's going to be a, a big moment. Everybody's going to remember their first time going sub four. Oh, so, no, no doubt. Um, yeah. A- absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No question about it. It is. It's so fascinating to think too, though, because I, I do think that on one hand, it, it, the mental barrier part is such a great point and, and everybody's learning how to push the limits. And it, it's sort of reminiscent to, your great steeplechase from a little while ago when basically the whole field was was chasing nationally renowned marks and world-class times and stuff like that. Sometimes high high tides raise all ships too, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <clears throat> when it comes to just the, the, the records in track and field, though, is there any that you think maybe are are unbreakable? Like I've wondered this a lot with the 100-meter record, right? Like people have gotten so fa- so much faster for so long, but I really don't know if you can run 100 meters faster than Usain Bolt did when he set that record. Is there any records you think are unbreakable in track? I don't think so. I think there's always going to be people that are that are going to be training better, training harder. You know, they're going to have faster shoes and just I think everything will continue to improve. I'm sure the margins will get smaller, but I feel like there will always be somebody that's, that's slightly faster. You know, they say records are made to be broken and they... I really think that there's nothing out there that's that's un, unbreakable. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's humans in a nutshell too, right? I mean, we're always yeah, going to be pushing exactly. the envelope for sure. Uh, Duncan Hamilton joining yeah. us, Montana State senior. Uh, you weren't the only guy that went sub four minute in this one either, though. A couple of your your best buddies went under four as well. Once the times were converted, Levi Taylor, Ben Perrin, all three of you guys, Montana made, which is so cool. Levi from Laurel and and uh, Ben from up there in the Flathead. So, what was it like to to accomplish this and go under four with your buddies? That was super special. I think that was the the uh, the happiest moment of the night for me. Was just kind of the five minutes after the finish line, everybody's just hugging each other and everybody's so happy that we finally got eclipsed that barrier together. Um, and yeah, to do it all in one race is super cool too. Um, I think our, our mile squad ranking went up pretty high in the NCAA. So that was definitely a, a super good day for the team. And, uh, I think Levi is 22nd in the NCAA now. So I was super happy to see that. That's, uh, I think there's there's a chance he could qualify for his first indoor NCAA championships um, in a couple of weeks, so we'll be keeping an eye on that for sure. 
Well, last thing for you then, uh, the Big Sky Indoor Championships begin here in just a couple days uh, in Moscow, Idaho, from the Kibbe Dome. So uh, what's the plan? What's the aspirations? What are you guys hoping to accomplish here uh, in your last indoor championships? Yeah, the plan is kind of the same as it always is, just to get as many points as we can in distance. Um, I'm going to be just trying to trying to help out the team as much as I possibly can. Um, we've got the DMR on Friday, which is always a super fun event. I wish there were more relays in track, but I, I really love that, that distance relay. Um, so that'll be kind of a battle between NAU and Idaho's got a good team this year. And then, uh, Saturday I'll be in the mile and the three K. Um, and yeah, super excited duking it out with some NAU boys trying to score as many points as I can. Well, I'm sure we'll be touching base with you between uh, now and, and when Outdoor opens up. But best of luck this weekend at the Big Sky Indoor Championships. And uh, hopefully talking about some NCAA Indoor Championships here in a few weeks. But thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Duncan Hamilton, Bozeman, Montana, as, uh, as they say over there at the MSU Athletic Department. Longfellow Elementary School. Because he's been kicking butt in track ever since he was a little guy over there in Bozeman. But uh, it's just a great story. I know we talk about this kid a lot. And I just think that he deserves it. Because I think that these distance kids and also just the great track athletes in this state are some of our best exports. Like you look at the the multitude of talent, particularly in girls track and field, that go on to run at NCAA Division One schools. It, it's just insane. I mean... I guess to put this in perspective, let's say there was like 15 to 20 boys basketball players from Montana every year that were going on to play Division I hoops. This place would be considered like a, a hotbed. And it's just a, and I actually could digress and have a whole tangent about the lack of recruiting in boys basketball in Montana, but I don't want to digress there. But the athletes that are coming out of the state of Montana, track and field, boys and girls, but particularly the girls, are our best recruits. Like, if you are a state championship-level gal in high school track, at a variety of classifications too, not just AA, but AA, A, and, you know, all the way through B and C, the best of the best are going wherever they want in the United States for track and field. That's pretty sweet. And these guys at Montana State, especially that distance trio that we just highlighted, Duncan Hamilton, Levi Taylor, and Ben Perrin, these guys are nationally relevant, not even nationally relevant. Some of the best in the country at their individual pursuits. I mean, think of this. Duncan Hamilton, of what he can thrive at, the mile on, at, on the indoor track is probably actually like fourth or fifth on his level of, of where he can be truly elite. Yet he's going out and smashing the indoor stadium record and running 352 in the mile. I mean, it's just crazy, man. Like, the fact that the kid is competing on truly, truly the world stage competitively in a variety of different races, it's just it's one of the best things going in Montana right now. We're just going to continue to highlight it because I just think that it's awesome. I just think it's so sweet that this is happening in, in Montana. And... uh Again, and I've also always said this, if you were to ask in the Big Sky Conference, what is the premier sport in terms of comparing it to the rest of the country? It's men's distance running, and it's not close. It's a full landslide for men's distance running. Northern Arizona has the premier cross-country program in the United States of America. 
But Weber State, Southern Utah, I guess they're now not in the league anymore, but they've been in the league. And Montana State are also top 25 uh, cross-country distance running programs. I mean, the Cats were ranked in the top 25 during cross-country for most of the season. We're not talking top 25 in the in the FCS or whatever, and I'm not demeaning the FCS or anything, but there's only one squad that's ranked in the top 25 amongst all Division I sports. That's the MSU men's track team. And they are, they've been consistently there for the last couple of years, and it's been because... Of Duncan Hamilton. So I just appreciate, and not just him. He's the leader of the pack, but they have a lot of great athletes there. And that's a whole different discussion, just the way that they have committed to the rise of track and field uh, there at Montana State. It shows you that if, if you build it, they will come. If you invest in it, you can be elite at it. And I think that that is uh, a great boon to the athletic department at Montana State. It's a great boon to the Big Sky Conference and the, uh, the, their relevance in men's sports on the national level. So our Big Sky Spotlight is presented by Dave Maldonado and Maldonado Law. Maldonado Law, your Big Sky Defender. Visit BigSkyDefender.com to see how Dave and his firm can help you. Take you home here on a Tuesday. Keep it right here. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Randy Hauser sounds like if you were doing an SNL skit and you were like trying to parody what you'd say like a, a hillbilly country star sounded like. That's what it is. Except for then you listen to it and you're like, this is like hilarious, but it's also like so good. Amazing. A country music type of Tuesday because, well, it's a freaking blizzard outside in western Montana and the country music just cheers me up and makes me think of the uh, the summertime. And uh, the summertime is a long ways away, but uh, dreaming of summer nonetheless. Well, it's now ESPN Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on your Tuesday. If you missed anything in the show, we uh, have had a wide-ranging show today. Tucker Sargent, the head coach of the Grizzly Cross team, swung by. Give us an update on his team's first three games of their season. We also heard from Israel Moreno. He's the only uh, high school wrestler from the city of Missoula to win a state championship a couple weeks ago at the all-class wrestling tournament. The Missoula Big Sky product won the 160-pound division in Class AA. We also heard from Carolyn. The chicken doesn't know sports. Uh, A fun uh, but also uh, sort of disappointing conversation. She let me know all about Carl Malone. Uh, I can't even talk about it. I never meet your heroes. The The saying is true. We also had our Treasure State Stars, some of the best individual performances from across the state of Montana. We had a couple Polish filmmakers, Piotr and Elvira, uh, the uh, producers and directors of The Hamlet Syndrome, which is a documentary that follows a group of young Ukrainian actors struggling with traumas from sexism and homophobia to the wars in the Donbas. In order to process their emotions, they embark on an adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet 
that grapples with the contemporary challenges of Ukraine. It was filmed only a couple months before Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, the Hamlet Syndrome is a rare personal document of the transformative power of art. I'll be going to this film tomorrow evening at 8.15 at the Zootown Arts and Community Center. But we appreciate Elvira and Piertor for coming in and uh, speaking with us about this film. And if, lastly, we most recently heard from Duncan Hamilton, a senior for the Montana State uh, track and field team, just ran a sub-four-minute mile in his last meet ever at Brick Breed and Field House. You can find everything in today's show, all those fine guests, on the Nuanas Now podcast, which is proudly presented by the M-Store and the MSU Bookstore. Only got about seven minutes left, so let's have a little, another history lesson. We got a text in uh, from a loyal viewer that's asking if I'm reading a children's book. No, I am not. This is a wonderful book, The 100 Greatest Sports Heroes. It's... Uh, the caveat here for those that haven't been following along, this book is copyright 1954. So it's an interesting analysis to go through because you remember many of these characters, whether it's Joe Lewis or uh, Jesse Owens, Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, but also many of these, maybe their memories have faded a little bit and you need a little reminder. And then some of them, we just straight never heard of. Like a couple t- times ago when we were doing these history lessons, uh, we learned about uh, a couple bare-knuckles b- boxers that were widely considered the best heavyweights in the world uh, back when they used to not wear gloves. So we only got a couple minutes, so we'll just do uh, one or two of these here. First one, and we're almost through this, by the way. I know a lot of you love this. I, I haven't actually heard of any of you that don't like it, but I could totally see people not liking it just because people are haters. But uh, we only got about 10 pages left, so we'll just continue to highlight uh, some of those from yesteryear. But today we'll highlight Rube Waddell, baseball's greatest clown. There was once a theory that if a pitcher was left-handed, he had to be eccentric, if not downright mad. The man who did most to make the theory look good was George E. Waddell, southpaw hurler in the major leagues near the turn of the century. On the other hand, while he was just as loony and odd as legend insists, he was also the greatest left-handed pitcher in the game. To the old-timers who saw Rube Waddell in action on the hill, there was never a question about his greatness. When he attended strictly to business, he was a matchless moundsman. He hurled in the major leagues for 14 years, pitching for five different clubs. Despite his clowning and fantastic capers, Rube was good enough to win 193 games and strike out 2,306 in one season alone, that was in 1904, he struck out 343 men in 1,384 innings, a record that stayed in the record books for 42 years. I remember Rube Waddell because one of my brother's baseball coaches growing up, and I used to help coach my brother's baseball teams. I was four years older, so I would just you know come by practice every once in a while, get some extra hitting in, some extra throwing, whatever. But when my brother was probably like, you know, between 10 and 12, maybe major boys, maybe into junior boys a little bit, but uh, a preteen and maybe early teens, his baseball coach was Larry Manch. And we've gotten to know all sorts of extensions of the Manch family during my time working in journalism because Scott Manch, who's Larry's brother, was the uh, sports editor at the Great Falls Tribune for years and years and years, a guy I worked alongside forever. Uh, Scott's, or excuse me, Larry's sister, Lynn is also married to one of our great friends and one of our uh, great helpers in the world of media. Bill Amberty is the sports information director at Montana State. Anyways, Larry Manch, who was my brother's 
baseball coach when, when he was a kid, is also a phenomenal baseball historian, and he wrote a book about Rube Waddell. When I was a, a teenager, I had no idea who the heck this guy was. But uh, now that I'm revisiting this and rereading the memories, uh, I totally I totally remember, and uh, I totally remember Larry writing a great book about him. Last note on Rube Waddell before we learn about one more person here to take you home here on uh, your Tuesday. As with so many of the other people in this book, that's the other striking part. If you don't think life's great and you don't think life's getting better, almost every single person highlighted in this book died some form of tragic or horrific or much too early death, including Rube Adele. Rube was dreaming of joining his mates at spring training when he closed his eyes forever. The left-hander was only 37 at the time of his death, and there was ironic laughter even after his sad demise for Rube Adele laughing and joking to the very end passed away as a befitted clown on April 1st, 1914. So only 37 years old and died in his sleep. Crazy. We've only got about two minutes left, so we'll just do one more quickly. And maybe we'll revisit this character because I think he's worth talking about. Honus Wagner, the Flying Dutchman. Wagner is probably known best right now in contemporary times because his baseball cards have been some of the baseball cards that have garnered the highest prices in all of, of sports collectibles. And that's because... Wagner was one of the first great baseball players of all time. Between 1900 and 1912, he won eight National League batting titles. That record still stands to this day. He also stole a total of 720 bases, so he was the first real theft ever. For 21 years, he played on the infield for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and over that span, he played in 2,785 games, racked up 3,430 hits, which was the National League record at the time of his retirement. He made the most singles, doubles, triples, and battered over 300, 17 consecutive seasons. His lifetime batting average of 329 still ranks among the greatest of all time. Uh, maybe we'll learn more about Honus Wagner a little later on, but uh, he is certainly a guy that is one of the unforgettable members of this only because he uh, has remained relevant because of his collectability. Just a few pages left in the good old uh, 100 Greatest Sports Stars, but uh, what a great gift, what a great uh, archiving of history, and uh, what a fun project it's been over the last year plus uh, to dive into uh, the 100 Greatest Sports Heroes circa 1954. We'll be back at it on Nuwana's Now Tomorrow. Our ESPN Roundtable have a couple phenomenal guests for you. Malia Kipp, a proud representative of the Blackfeet Nation and the first Lady Grizz uh, that hailed from Native American country. She is the subject of an awesome documentary called Native Ball, produced and uh, spearheaded by our great friend Megan Harrington. So Malia Kipp. And Megan Harrington will be in studio at 5 p.m. for the ESPN Roundtable. We also have the Round the Big Sky and Women's Hoops with Krista Redpath featuring an interview with John Newley as well. And we'll also hear from Grizz track coach Doug Fraley. All that at 4 p.m. tomorrow. We'll see you then. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine DeLands of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, the advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? 
Uh, it's all we practice. Uh, you're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in M- Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406 640 4444 or by visiting online 24 7 montanaadvocates.com.